everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And well, what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. All right, well, welcome everyone. I am super excited today to be joined by Mike Berry, who is the co-CEO and co-founder of Honestly Adoption, which is a support community for adoptive parents. He and his wife, Kristen, um, have have built an amazing uh, network and lots of various trainings and coaching offerings for uh, adoptive parents navigating this distinct journey that, that we, that both of us and many other listeners are here to learn more about. And, and hopefully some, some clinicians as well. I always think of this, um, this podcast and these conversations as a way for folks who support adoptive families to get a glimmer into, into what, what life what life is like because I yeah I know it can be it can be a journey to find clinicians who who have some of these glimmers so thank you Mike for joining me today and and having these conversations yeah it's super fun to be here I think that uh, this is a good trade because you've been on our podcast a couple of times and I'm excited to be on yours now super Yay! fun yeah we did it we made it work yes <laughs> and you all all my listeners are about to hear why it might be kind of tricky for Mike to make this work in addition to being the co-CEO and co-founder of yeah. Honestly Adoption 
tell us a little bit, um, Mike, about your family and what brings you to the to the table to have this conversation with me today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are, as you as already said, we we're well immersed in the adoption journey. Uh, all of our children uh, came to us, came to our family through adoption, and that's eight children total. Um, that's a lot, right? Uh, what's interesting though is that when I'm at conferences and things like that, and I mention <clears throat> that I have eight children, people out there are like, ah, you know what? That's like, that's minor league, man. Cause some of these people have like 30 kids and things like that, you know, like big numbers, but, um, but yeah, that's, so we, we started the adoption journey in 2002 and, um, went from, we started with a private adoption and then two years after that got into the foster care system and we fostered 23 children over eight years and six out of those 23 children um, permanently became a part of our family. And then our last adoption was also a private adoption. So private adoption on the bookends, um, six out of the uh, six out of that eight were from the foster care system. And in that process, <clears throat> we recognized, man, this is hard. Yeah. This is hard. This is exhausting. <laughs> and you know, the reason why it was hard um, wasn't, you know, had nothing to do with, you know, the, the love that we had for the, the children in our care or the passion that we had. It was, it was a misunderstanding. We didn't understand what, you know, was really ha what had really happened with the children in our care, the, the trauma that they had gone through. And because we were raised in traditional households, we, we parented traditionally and that does not work with children who have a trauma history. Right. Yeah. Um, and, so we, we figured out real quickly, this is not, this is not working. And it, it put us on a journey of, of discovery where we, we, we started to immerse ourselves in learning and research and discovery of what was actually, what was actually going on with our children in terms of trauma. But then second of all, um, an understanding of why certain things were happening, behaviors and meltdowns and, and things like that and, and starting to piece all that together and taking a step back and saying, wait, this is not, this is not a bad kid behaving badly. This is, this is a child who's trying to express an unmet need. Mm -hmm. And I, I say all that because that was really the eye-opening experience. That's when we realized, wow, wow, we, there's a whole new understanding here that's, that if, when we, when we embrace it, changes our perspective and, starts to build connection. We start to build connection with our child and an attachment with our child. And, and out of that, we realized, man, if this, if this has been so transformational for us, think about how transformational it, it would be for other parents. And so that, that led us to start, um, originally it was a blog. And then from there it became a podcast and now it's an entire support and online training company called the honestly adoption company. And, that's how we connected. And so yeah. that's what brings me to the table <laughs> wow. today. No, I mean, yeah, today. And, and I love hearing that because I also often talk about these conversations as a place where my living room couch meets my office couch. Yeah. And I, right. Yeah. I had been a practicing behavioral health specialist for, for many years and, and really had to rethink a lot of the, a, a lot of the fundamental stuff. And I think, you know, today we're going to chat, a little bit about the holidays. The holidays are, are bearing down on us and uh, uh, even my language around that is interesting. <laughs> Here come the holidays. Yes, it's <laughs> and, an approaching hurricane. Yep. And I think 
And, and to me, the holidays kind of highlights a bit of what we just talked about in terms of um, some shifting expectations, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. And I don't mean to say this, and I know you hold the same um, values around the complexity of this. I think I don't. I don't mean to portray you know, adoptive parents as this poor community of beleaguered folks dealing with all of this yeah. um, specialized stuff. I, I mean to say that there are expectations, understandings and ways of connection that that need to shift so that your child's yeah. needs are met and you all can stay regulated. So I want to be clear about that as we talk about what's totally what's hard going into the holidays that I that I know it'll be a conversation first and foremost about what's hard for our kids and then what that means in terms of what we can we can try in our families and in connection with our kids to help right. prepare for holidays. So if if listeners are tuning in and they're thinking why are they like, why would we need to be having a conversation about holidays? Mm -hmm. What do holidays have to do with, you know, adoptive parenting? What would you say is your experience been in community around holidays and kids that come to families through adoption? Well, the, the first thing is, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the place, the, un, the place of understanding that, that parents need to begin with the, almost the foundational understanding is that the holidays in particular, and, and when I say, when we say holidays, we talk about like the, the time between October 31st and January 2nd, like that's the big one, right? That's right. where parents deal, parents are dealing with a lot of dysregulated behaviors, um, a lot of, um, some could be aggressive behaviors, um, anxious behaviors, you know, that that's really the period we're talking about. But I think the foundational understanding is you have to know as a caregiver that that the holidays can be a massive reminder of loss and um, of what they, uh, what a child may not have or not have anymore. Um, even if a child has been with, been in your care for years, um, there's still that those, that feeling of loss and grief still lives inside of them. And it's really hard when a child is going to school and they're seeing you know, parents come in for class parties, even if you're there for the class parties, right? Or they're seeing like, you know, they're just thinking about the idea of, of, you know, home for the holidays or with family for the holidays. Even if they've been in your care for a long time, those remi that reminders, so you have to be aware. I think it starts with awareness, mm -hmm. aware that this can be a very difficult season for a child, right? So there's that, there's the grief and the loss side of it. But then on the other, to on the other side of that token is, it's just overstimulation city, you know, it is. I mean, Halloween is like, I mean, it, it's, that's a, that's a tough, tough yeah. holiday for kids. I, and I was going to say, even just like, I would push it back three weeks before Halloween. Uh, I'd go oh yeah, October 7th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, October, that's good. That's where I really should push it back, not October 31st. No. But yeah, it, it, it just, there's a lot of expectations. And, you know, when we talk about expectations in the foster care and adoption journey, especially with children who have a trauma history, I mean, right there, you're talking about uh, with, with, part of the part of a child's trauma history is the loss of expectations or the unmet expectations. So I think it's important, you know, parents will ask us all the time, well, what do we do? And we have, you know, like we have a holiday survival guide that we created with 
trauma trained therapists where we have four different audio interviews with trauma trained therapists. that we did a couple of years ago where they give really, really valuable advice, right? Really, really good advice. Right. But the reality is you just need to be aware. There's nothing you really can do. You can't, you, you can't, as I often say it, trauma doesn't play by the rules. So you don't know what's on the horizon, but you know that it, that something is on the horizon and that you are going to, your child may experience a myriad of loss and grief and overstimulation and unmet expectations or, you know, all the, all those things. So awareness is where you start. I think that's the starting place. You know, a caregiver has to be aware that you are sailing into some choppy, choppy choppy waters. waters. And and I think it's also, to me, it seems a place where kid expectation that it, that can be unspoken and even unknown to a child, right? Like, and, and then that meets the parent expectation. So first on the kid piece, you know, sometimes kids do have um, music that reminds of, a, of prior holidays if they were in their family, even with pre-verbal mm-hmm. memories or, you know, smells, traditions. Yeah. So there's a sensory piece that can can trigger, you oh, know, yeah. memories that are unexpected yeah. or un, ununderstandable for young people who just mm-hmm. know that something feels you know, out of, out of sync in terms of stuff. And, and, and then you have, um, like belonging, right? Holidays are about belonging and rituals and families get together and talk about how much everybody looks like grandpa and looks like everyone else. It's like a constant, and it's lovely when families who are biologically, genetically related can see those things in each other and it's hard on kids around yeah. the table at these so it's larger family gatherings it's school holidays where you have these letters to so and so and and you know people are in the classroom and if your family doesn't look alike i mean there are just all these reasons why there's more overlap in worlds why there may be things kids don't understand for themselves are happening and then on this on a similar track in shared space are parents who also have our own set of expectations around yeah. which parts yeah. of our traditions are we going to impart and how committed we are to the traditions that mean Chris- this means Christmas if you happen to celebrate Christmas. This means Hanukkah. This means this is how we, yeah. we yeah. do it and imparting those memories which f- and rituals which feel like values for a lot of folks too, right? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it's unconscious even. Go ahead. Yeah, and and I think that's that's the reason why. I'm and and I don't think I would never I wouldn't necessarily, you know, tell a, a caregiver, hey, don't don't do celebrate any of that right. or don't you know have those conversations. But I think that you know being aware that I, I go back in my mind um, fifteen years ago um, when our now second oldest daughter was fifteen years old. And she came, she legitimately on December 15th, she moved from another foster home that she had been removed and placed into to our home. And I look back on that and I remember we were sitting around 10 days later on Christmas morning, opening presents and everybody, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I wanted. And we had presents for her because, you know, that's, that's what we do. But I remember, I can picture her sitting on the sofa in our living room. And I remember thinking like, you know, wow, she looks looks like she's really enjoying this. But then there would be moments where she would just have kind of a somber face. And 
I didn't think anything of it back then, but if I could go back in time, I would have, I would have carved out space and then even, you know, held space, um, for the, for her thoughts and her feelings, you know, or at least connected with her or attempted to connect with her. But again, I wasn't aware. Yeah. And, and now looking back on it, it's like, oh my gosh, I mean, how would I have felt if I had been, if I had been in a foster home since July and then suddenly in December had to disrupt that placement and then come to our house. And we knew her, she was, we, she was with a family friend, but still, you know, the, 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 the amount of the, the level of feelings and grief that was probably that were pouring out of her. And then years later, she told us the story how the year previously to coming to our house, they, they woke up on Christmas morning and there was nothing. There's nothing. It was just a normal day. I mean, that is that weight, you know, right. To go from that. And then to our house where there's like all this activity, it's, it's, it had to have been more overwhelming than I can even imagine. And so, you know, I think now it, that leads me to, to tell caregivers, like you just, your starting point is awareness and know that this could be, you know, sensory overload. This could be massive grief. This could be a lot of acting out behaviors. Listeners can't see this, but I'm putting this quote, you know, acting out behaviors because they don't know how to process the thoughts and the feelings that are going on. They don't know why that, that scented candle in Walmart is causing them to be mad instead of happy. Right. And you don't, you as a caregiver can't make sense of that. right? Right. But you need to know that that's, you know, that trauma history is probably dictating that present behavior. And, and I think, too, even this conundrum, the holidays, I think, point out some of the, the gratitude dilemma, too, in terms of mm. like, so so if you happen to be in a, in, in, you know, in an adoptive family that does have some resources to be able to do anything on Christmas and kids didn't before or they were shifting around, there's this idea of like, from a kid's standpoint, I should feel better than I do. Right. Like, right. And then and then like, well, I should be happy, but I'm not. But now I feel guilty because here I am in this place where there are things. What about my brother or sister who still was my first family? Or what about my, you know, I wonder where my parents, my birth family is right now. How (laughs) like what are they doing? Like in terms of and and so I should air quotes again, feel happier here in this moment. And I'm not what's wrong with me. Something's really wrong with me. And sometimes kids turn that something's really wrong with me um, into, you know, dysregulated behavior or anger at themselves. And other times they turn it outward toward the people who are creating this dilemma for them. Right. I mean, sometimes adoptive parents are the are the spark for the dilemma. Without us, there wouldn't be this dilemma in terms of that piece. So, yeah. And I, I, I. You know, a word of caution to caregivers and parents, and this is something that we we feel very strongly uh, over. You know, don't expect your your child to be thankful, to be grateful. You know, that may step on some people's toes, but you know, we've run into more parents through our coaching programs and our courses that'll say, "Well, I don't understand. They should be grateful for all they have." And I'm like, "But think about what they've gone through. Think about what they've lost." Put yourself in that child's shoes and right. would you feel grateful? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, so you have to, now I want you to uh, caregivers hold space for that. Right. Um, and be okay sitting in the mess of that. 
you know, um, allow space, allow, allow space to, for, for processing and for, you know, for really unpacking that you've got to be willing to hold space there because there's a lot going on with your child that this time of year dredges up that they just may need to, they may, may need time and space, you right. know, and, I mean, maybe someday they are grateful, but yeah. you can't force that or expect that. You know, because what they're going through and what they've been through is something we may never understand, you know? Yeah. So. And that bumps up against, I mean, that's such a broad, important message. You know, I do, right? This is National Awareness Month or whatever, November here yeah. for adoption. And, and, you know, that idea that it's the, the only loss that we expect kids to be, you know, to people to be, to be grateful. Like we only see the receiving end for adoptive families. And, and it's really, I think that can be a challenge too in some parenting approaches because, you know, I mean, some folks not raising families that have come together by adoption, it it is a value to say like, Hey, we appreciate what we have. Like you Mm -hmm. have a lot of opportunity. I want you to look around and appreciate, you know, what you've been given and, and that's not all that uncommon and in fact lines up with lots right. of people's subcultural beliefs to instill in your children a sense of gratitude and an awareness yeah. that there are many things they should feel lucky and blessed and whatever else for. And that is such um, a dicey... Yeah, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> not, not, yeah, it's really something is. to unlearn. One of the things that we as yeah. adoptive parents can unlearn and that I do think begs us to do differently than families who don't have the the stories that that bring our kids to us for sure um when you say i mean so part part of what comes to mind i think the awareness we can't we can't overstate how important it's like looking for mm-hmm. cues so so talking about how you know your different kids right like yeah. knowing what the, the triggers are mm-hmm. and then looking for the cues that they're starting the earlier you catch yep. it, right? What does it mean? Is there, you know, <clears throat> can you expect that a whole class party um, is going to be completely overwhelming? Can you expect that the, the extended family gathering the week before Thanksgiving is going to bring up a lot around genetic relatedness, et cetera? Can you um, expect that that actually Christmas shopping is overwhelming, Hanukkah shopping is overwhelming from the standpoint of sm- sight, smells, sounds, um, decision making, right? It's a big time of decision making for folks trying to pick mm-hmm. out gifts, yeah. trying to, I mean, there's all these like where, so sort of imagining as you know each of your kids, what are some of the things that are asked of us during the holiday season that, um, that 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 are likely to need you to be extra tuned in to your kids. So having parents yeah. just think a little bit about um, what are some of the things that pop up during the holidays that that um, could be stumbling blocks for your kids. I also say as much as is humanly possible, even though it can kind of make um, families or parents feel like wet noodles is Mm -hmm. some kind of structure like trying to Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you can't yes diets uh, diets meaning the food you're that goes into your family um changes during holidays sleep schedules often do routines often do you you don't want to be militant clock bound folks yeah and in my experience if you let an accordion too broadly away from your baseline then that's a key piece of regulation too yeah, flex. It's it's interesting because you know when we're talking about you know 
and I use this term for care for parents, not, not based on their child, but just based on their own exhaustion. But we talk about like getting through the holidays, right. Or holiday survival for lack of a better way of saying it. Flexibility is a big, a big piece of that. You've got to be flexible as a, as a, as a, a parent and a caregiver, knowing that your, your children are going to have certain needs that may prevent you from certain things, right. And, or, or prevent you from being, at certain gatherings for a long period of time. And in the same vein, you need to have a plan, you know, and, and how you're going to, uh, because at the end of the day, when you get home to your house, all of these other people that were at these family gatherings or hosting these parties or, you know, at the tree lighting ceremony or things like that, they are not going to be in your home, right? <laughs> you have to deal with the fallout from, um, what could be other people's over expectations. Um, I have a, um, I have a, a, a person in one of my intensives that is visiting family, uh, and the, the, the extended family, it's the first time this extended family is meeting their children and they have gone way, 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 way overboard, like purchased all kinds of things and looked up all these different craft ideas and everything. And, so my big conversation piece was, okay, but remember, you are the caregiver and you know what your child's needs are. So you, even though this person has expectations, you know, that you know that you're going to be disappointing them in some level. But at the end of the day, this is about making sure your children um, stay as regulated as possible and that you guys can, can get through a certain incident or situation without too much dysregulation, right? And too many, too many meltdowns or it just being a complete mess. So you have to be flexible, but you have to have a plan, right? And you have to, you, 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 I love how you said this, you, you have to know each one of your kids needs and almost design your holiday experience based on their needs, not based on tradition or family <laughs> expectations. You know, for us, we made it clear probably going back like 15 years ago, like to our extended family, we will take breaks and go, go to the park. We will not stay here. This is a four hour gathering. Yeah. We will not stay here for four hours solid and participate in this because this will end in disaster if we do that, right? It's too much overstimulation. We have to change things up. So that's the flex, flexibility piece. Mm -hmm. But then the planning piece is we know going in that if if we can see you know, the plane losing altitude, so to speak, <laughs> we are going to do what we need to do for the children that we are responsible for, right? We're, that's our top priority before, you know, yeah. participation in a holiday. You have to be, you have to draw those boundaries. So that's your top priority before, you know, making sure that great grandma is happy. Right. Love great grandma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> love, love the holiday feast she's put together. But listen, if my child is you know, a puddle over here on the floor, this yeah. gathering, this gathering is, is not healthy anyways. Right. So right. that's my top priority. I think that's great. So like front loading, imagining what your kids need and then morphing that into what is likely to happen based on how you know your traditions and then yeah. communicating with, with other adults involved. I mm -hmm. think also like ahead of time, exactly like, yeah. Hey, 
we would love to, and right now this is how our family rolls and this is what we yeah. have to do. Because there's this other layer that ties in. And, you know, we were speaking, we're like, well, we could talk about responding to behavior or holidays. It, holidays are also a time where loved ones, friends, and other people witness our parenting more. <laughs> yeah, in terms yes, they do. Of, like if we're visiting, whether it's to go out of town for a week and visit people we haven't seen in a while, or whether we're spending all day Saturday together. And if our kids are struggling already because of a variety of factors, and then our parenting <laughs> um, choices are on display, it's a time where parents often are more anxious too, right? Like we're aware oh, that totally. not everybody understands yeah. some of the regulation choices we make, some of the soothing, as you know, we've talked a lot about the sensory stuff, some of the soothing things that we will engage in with our kids that look like we're rewarding our children for quote bad behavior and you just it's like thick skin season is what i call Mm -hmm. it for parents yeah (laughs) you you have to know that 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 people are not going to understand it if you have made your goal you know the one of the things that we preach constantly when it comes to behavior response and behavior management is know that your number one goal as a caregiver is re-regulation first right you cannot discipline or try to correct quote, bad behavior when a child is not in their prefrontal cortex and thinking logically, right? If they're in their reptilian brain survival (laughs) mode, there is no neural pathway to the frontal lobe, right? They're not (laughs) thinking logically and it takes logic to understand consequences, right? So your your number one goal is re-regulation. You got to help that. You have to be the external brain to help that child get back into that prefrontal cortex. Well, the way that you do that is by walking with them and asking, you know, connection questions like, how can I help you? What can I do to make you feel better? Right. And you have extended family standing there like, but that child just called so-and-so a blankety blank blank. Right. Right, right. Why aren't you busting their, their backside? Right. Yeah. Because I'm working on a bigger picture. Yeah. And, and here, that's the, that is the, that is the tricky, tricky part about this because as a parent, you're standing there and you're thinking, I've got my dad who is a, you know, a World War II veteran. My grandpa is a World War II veteran. It's like discipline, 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 right? Standing there thinking, why don't you knock that kid into next week, right? Right. Well, that didn't necessarily work for your kid (laughs) or for me, let's just be honest, right? Um, Right. But, um, you know, the reality is I'm working on a bigger picture here. This is not a child who is thinking logically and who is behaving logically. This is a child who is triggered and behaving in survival mode, I cannot connect with them until I get and I achieve re-regulation. Other people translate that as you're letting them get away with murder. Well, and, you're, and, you're rewarding them for bad behavior. And, no, 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 bigger picture. Well, and yeah. not only are you rewarding them for b- bad behavior, it's probably why they're still doing it. Because exactly. you, you have, have, right? So it's both. Yeah. You've caused it with this parenting stuff you're doing and now you're not stopping it again kind of exactly. a thing and now you're rewarding yeah. it right so it's sort of like well no wonder that kid does that right like how many times exactly. i've sort of heard no wonder she does that and i'm like oh so that's that's the thick skin piece it's like yeah totally. having the faith that you see the marathon you see the big <clears throat> picture understanding that other people just they can't know what they don't 
know and right, they right, right. mean well and they want to <laughs> love you into smooth family functioning yeah, um, yeah. right and they they wish that that things could just flow the way that you know they did when you were kids or whatever and so it, you know sort of like vicarious <laughs> changing expectations so i think yeah that that piece about knowing that you may feel anxious and want to do right. the right thing and impress grandma or, or your <laughs> sister or whoever it is but but knowing that it is really co-regulation and if you're able to go in confident that that's what your aim is and in communication you know with your kid i think having the the upfront conversations with adults as you can to say you may notice this this year that we tag in and tag out mm-hmm. um and and i'll do my best to communicate our plans if other folks are making decisions around us i will be right. as transparent as i can but we may have to flex and and i think too i, I think there's there's real value in being able to wonder together with your kids when things mm-hmm. are calm ahead of time, right? Like as much as is reasonable, you have to know your kids, right? Like they don't need to feel responsible for what's going to happen. But like, hey, we have this whole big, we're caroling, we're going ice skating. We're like, what do you think? What should we pack in your backpack? Exactly. Or yeah. like, do you want to bring headphones that you can use when yep. you've had enough? Like, let's talk a little bit. How are you going to let me know yeah, when you need We to ask all out? of that. We do. We You bring up a really good point. We ask, we have gotten to the point um, where now that our kids are older, especially, we will say before, we've already had these conversations in our household. Like what, hey, we're going to go do, we're doing something this weekend that could be oh, really, 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 it could be dysregulation city, right? So yeah. we have asked our, our kids who who struggle with those kind of things with lots of people and lots of interaction. Like the question we ask is what would help you feel successful? What would help you feel good about being here? You know, um, I have a good friend who uh, is parenting a child, uh, a child, they, a, a son they adopted now in, in his teenage years um, and de- does not deal well with lots of people and lots of activity. And I asked him a couple of years ago, I said, what, what do you, how do you guys handle that? How do you handle that with him? And he said, we know that going, he knows that, that anytime, and, th- and I should back up and say, this is a family that hosts pre COVID hosted a lot of gatherings, weekly gatherings at their house. Right. And I said, how do you handle that with, with your son? And he said, we, we have a standing, we have a, a standing rule slash understanding that if you need to tap out and go up to your room and chill, you're free to do that. No questions asked. Yeah. And we don't answer anybody's questions on why is so-and-so not here, you know? So you have to, you, you, I think communicating with your kids ahead of time, having that plan ahead of time and asking the question, Hey, what would make you feel better? What that does for a child is that validates them. It validates that, that it validates them that their emotions are valid, right? That their feelings are valid and you're listening as their caregiver to what they need. Right. Validation is a huge part of behavior response. Right. That's yeah. that's part of our behavior response blueprint um, that we created, because when a child, a child can start to articulate their unmet needs when they feel like they have permission to do so and they feel like they've been validated. Right. And to have a caregiver look at them and say, hey, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? What would make you feel better? Right. You know, with this is it does so many. It does wonders for your connection, your connection to that child. But then also even how they 
you know, will step into something like a big holiday gathering, you right. know? They feel like if so, they know they have an escape route if they need it or a lean into yes. you, like just come, if they're a little, you know, come sit with me or, or, you know, let's go for a walk. How can you, it's sort of like, how will you know what you need? And then how can you cue me to support you in that yeah. too, as they get older, right? Like yep, give me totally. a signal, shoot me or whatever, you know, let's just touch base for a minute. <clears throat> and it, and it often is a way to find quiet, a way to make sure that, that you're regulating with food and whatever else, a way to um, tag in and tag out of the of the press for social interaction and being pleasing and answering a million questions from people and yep. and and people who don't know much about adoption saying really triggering things or yeah. I mean like it's also just these, oh, these larger yeah. gatherings are are you know somebody's well-intended friend who's coming and says you know my sister adopted a kid whose mom was totally hooked on drugs i mean like the stuff yeah, that people yeah, yeah. will blurt out in, in in an attempt to connect around adoption so there's it, it's it, i think really important to have an agreement with your kiddos like you know okay what do you need how can i help yeah support you in that yeah and we'll get we're gonna do our best to 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 be able to to do this and 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 it does i mean it takes <laughs> i think the the key piece awareness and noticing your own expectations as a parent mm-hmm. right i mean because yeah. i think here mike you many of my good friends um know this and if i didn't talk about this in this podcast friends who are listening to this might publicly call me out for the fact that my family <laughs> has notorious christmas duels <laughs> Oh, wow. In terms okay. of, so I learned the very hard way. We had lived out of the country and we had moved around. And I, and I've been super lucky to do a ton of um, traveling. And the only thing that I've sort of collected, Christmas ornaments, right? So I have yeah. this like marvelous, eclectic, bizarro, like mismatched, like a photo album collage of, of my life in Christmas ornaments, my yeah, kids' yeah, yeah. preschool stuff, right? And we were finally, a few years back, going to be in a place where we had our own tree because we were based at our at our own home. Normally we have traveled to other places. And we put on Christmas music. We had the tree and we put on Christmas music and I started putting the ornaments on the tree. Now, part of um, what goes on for some kids with trauma, you know, is a little bit of rigidity around their ideas mm-hmm. about how things should work, right? Sometimes kids really dig in heels. Um, and yeah. sometimes people who don't have trauma really dig in heels, but heel digging in is a, it can be a part of it. So my kid just fell up. Those are horrible. What are you doing? <laughs> that is not what a Christmas tree is supposed to look like. My, my kid's a very visual kid who had these ideas of like, and, and was like, it's supposed to be a hotel lobby. And I'm like, that is soulless. You know, so we have this like epic <laughs> duel about Christmas. And it had, I mean, it was probably the biggest parenting fail night of my life in terms of like both of us completely dysregulated and separate, like the whole thing. I was so um, crash and burn. I mean, I had so much attachment to this idea that we were going to just treasure all these knickknacks together. And it, uh, and and like my child could not flex i could not and we were in this standoff and the and the the frustration was so great because of all the meaning behind this right mm-hmm. so yeah yeah we've now more every year friends and family wait to see the pictures of our two separate christmas trees <laughs> i love it so funny 
<laughs> but you know what? I mean, that's a that's a path to healing right there. That's that's a, a path to connection. You know, being willing to say, I think that's important for caregivers to yeah. understand that you have to be flexible, right? And you may have to you, you may have to give up. I mean, the holiday traditions that I had growing up, we don't have those in our house yeah. because they just don't work for yeah. for our family for a lot of different reasons. But yeah. I think that's a really beautiful illustration of the give and take that you have to have, the flexibility that you have to have, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was ugly. Yeah. And I think that's, and that's permission <laughs> to give. That's, it's permission also too, right? Like yeah. sometimes we have to give permission for our, our ugly learnings, right? The learnings aren't always, you know, those aha light bulb moments. Sometimes they're tears yeah. and, and time in separate rooms and like a, a Christmas record on repeat in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, we we just sort of we I think the more we understand about how and this is a nice way to kind of, you know, think about bringing this to a close for folks with tips. And I love I'll, I'll have you repeat the resources that you've already developed. But the <laughs> the idea that that we come into holidays with our own set of plans yeah. and mm-hmm. that notice what your attachments are, what holds meaning for you. Um, the other piece is if you if your kids can't tolerate something you love, how can you find a way? What does it look like? Are there some things you can do with your partner that will make you feel as if it's been recognized or you and your brother go out and do this thing? While, you know what I mean? Like what are yeah. what are your plans and expectations? Can they be built in, in a way so that folks recognize that? Kids do the best they can with what they have and where they are. And Mm -hmm. although holidays we associate with joyous belonging and um, family connection and ritual and history and tradition, um, and if there's a faith-based piece for folks, obviously, as well, and and there are there can be lots of rituals around faith-based parts of holidays too that kids may not be able to tolerate so so in the in theory it's a time of of connection ritual joy warmth now you could argue some people are like are you kidding i'm not part of an adoptive family and that doesn't sound like my holidays either but <laughs> but what it is is more family time, more observation yeah. of parenting, overstimulation for kids, and trauma triggers. It's it's all yeah. of those things. So any final, like, tell us the name of the resources that folks can find, and I'll link that to them as well. But any final thoughts you'd have for parents? Well, I totally agree with you. I, you know, I, I, I love how you said, you know, you may have to, maybe there's two different pathways um, uh, traveling along through your holiday season. Maybe... I mean, we have those kind of things. Like there are there are some holiday gatherings that we do that our kids are not involved in. Yeah. And um, number one, because I don't think it's, you know, it may not be applicable to them, but, right. you know, we do different things with different kids or different family members that we don't do with others. And, you know, sometimes our kids are involved in, in certain things, sometimes they're not, and, so, and that's their choice. You know, um, there are things that, and, and we also do a lot of, of, of work to, to ask the question, like, what, what would make you, what would help you feel the best here? You know, like what would help you um, feel really good about this experience or not like what experiences should we not do that are not, you know, not, that would not make you feel good. Right. So um, I think that's really important. That goes back to that flexibility piece. The, The behavior response blueprint is 
honestlyadoption.com slash scripts. Okay. The word scripts. Yep. And then survival guide is, um, yeah, they're holiday survival. So honestlyadoption.com slash holiday survival. Okay, great. Um, so, I'll, and I'll send you those links. Great. Both those links. But yeah, that's, that's where you can find both those resources. They're free downloads. Great. Um, and um, yeah, they're, they're, they're proven strategies. I mean, there, our holiday survival guide is, is from the, it, those, these are interviews, audio interviews we did with trauma trained therapists nice. about three or two or three years ago. And then the behavior response blueprint is, is just a four step plan. Nice. Um, it, easy to remember, practical um, to remember to respond to your kid when there's a meltdown or dysregulation in a way that builds connection. Yeah. And I think as I, as I think about sort of final thoughts for folks today, it really like, like, and for clinicians, cause I want, if you work with adoptive families and you're not having distinct conversations about holidays, start having distinct conversations <laughs> about holidays and, exactly. and prepare people to be thinking about what are the triggers likely to be? How can they stick to routines without being rigid? What conversations can they have with their kids ahead of time mm -hmm. to help everybody learn what it takes to regulate and advocate? What conversations can you have with adults um, mm -hmm. around you? Um, the thick skin, like how can you just sort of flex and stretch and be ready to yep. recognize that not everybody understands this, the, the different approaches that parenting kids um, with trauma histories brings to the table and in group situations. So, so a combination of, of those things really feels the best way to, to help um, navigate lots of sort of um, jack-in-the-box <laughs> clowns, popping out clowns <laughs> that the holiday season can often be. So, yeah. yeah, thanks, Mike, for joining me today. I'm happy yeah. to point, port, uh, point folks toward all the great work you all are doing, and it's wonderful to connect again in community. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, and I loved this conversation. Yeah, yay. Say hi to Kristen for me. I will. I will. <laughs> Good to see you. You too. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined, and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch, and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, on Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.